Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined by Andy Bannister in a cabin in his garden. I'm not there, he is. Yes, exactly. Where else would one podcast from, Aaron? But from a cabin in the in cabin in the garden, not a cabin in the woods. That's not quite the woods. Not quite the full Walden. Uh, but mm. no, this is a cabin in, in the garden, and actually quite a cold cabin in the garden. I'm realising a garden office is a wonderful thing uh, when the sun shines. It's a slightly chilly thing. This oh, time. so you don't have that? You don't pipe heat to a garden office? Is that not well, a I thing? Don't, we, well, we don't pipe heat. We have these these. I, I know you're in the in the north, <clears> so maybe things are different here. We have these things called this thing called electricity. Ah. It's this wondrous thing. Uh, you sort of connect this cable up, and then you plug it into a heater. Um, we just lost. All, you just lost all of our northern listeners there. They're, they're Every gone. northern listener, there'll be angry emails coming in. Mrs. Trellis of North. No, they won't because the, the electricity's just gone out again, so it's fine. The electric meter yeah, ran out, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. No, we we once had when we lived in Aberdeen, we had electric heaters, and it was outrageously expensive, and we didn't realise how expensive it was until we got the first bill. And I was like, Ooh. oh my goodness! And occasionally, because you have to individually turn them on, we didn't have one of those things. There wasn't a mechanism in that in this old Aberdonian house to actually synchronize them. So you had to go and individually turn on each heater. And so obviously from time to time, you would leave a heater on in a, in a main room all night and go down in the morning, but nice and warm in the morning. But then you're like, oh my goodness, how much did this cost me? How just this, this me? foolish lack of a, of a switch. So you just constant yeah, you see, fear. In our, main, in our main part of the house, not down at this end of the garden, we have uh, my, one of my pride and joys. We have a wood-burning stove, and I'm, I'm a great believer in stoves there is nothing more exciting of an evening than sitting by a wood-burning stove reading uh because it's very comforting and if you're reading a heretical book you can remove one page at a time and just keep fighting no. excellent <laughs> you, you've got have you, I, one of my books have, have my books graced your fire say, you have any, many of your books have found a way to those no yeah. no of course we would not we would not support support wood burning wood, wood, wood burning <laughs> book burning <laughs> oh no we don't support good grammar on our or good english on this show either actually, exactly look at these and look at you having a go at the northerners and you can't even speak the queen's english okay all right i promise i will not have a go sorry the, the king's english do we say the king's english now english. I, I, I will stop having a go at people. I shall lay down my arms, perhaps. Would that be the thing yes. to do? Yes. Indeed. Oh, look at that. And that does bring us very nicely. Ever ever the segue master is Andy Bannister, uh, bringing us nicely onto our topic for today, which is ceasefires, surrenders, and synods, which is a, a ho- hopefully intriguing title for you all um, to, to ponder upon. But this kind of leads us into, the firstly, the issue of um, Israel and Gaza and different opinions that kind of swarm around that and we'll probably get on to, no, we will get on to, we hope, um, some of the issues of similar issues of uh, potentially metaphorical ceasefiring in the general synod of the Anglican Church, so the Church of England. Uh, but we'll get on to that afterwards. So Andy, give us a kind of your thoughts on, <laughs> give us your thoughts on Israel. Thoughts on Have you ever had that, by yeah. the way? I, can I just say, I've, I was actually invited once as a young budding theologian in right. a church. Is that what Someone theologians said, do? They, they bud. They're, they not, bud. They're, they're not trained and taught. They, they grow and they, and they bud and exactly. they flower. Hey, it's, it's biblical metaphor, you know, the, the seed and the, the seed growing up in the hopefully good soil, but maybe not. Maybe it was Aaron's growing up in the shallow, yes, exactly. the shallow soil. But um, yeah. someone came to me and said, oh, I'd like to invite you to a dinner party. And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be very nice. And I didn't realise what it was for, what it was about. So there I am. I go along to this dinner party. Um with these other people. I didn't know any of the other people who were going to be at this party. I thought it might be an evangelistic thing, but it was with other Christians from other churches. And this this uh, nice 
an elderly woman decided, to, and she just said, "Right, Aaron, Aaron's going to talk to us today about Israel." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, no, no, no warning at all." <laughs> no warning. I, and I, I went in. I saw a stack of Israel books. You know, when someone has the thing that the Israel bug, and it kind of like dominates everything they think theologically. So, and you don't quite know what it means when you say, "Talk to me about Israel." It could mean the state of Israel. It could mean the nation of Israel. It, or it could mean Judaism. Or it could mean Christian theology. Replacement theology could mean Old Testament theology. Who knows? But so. you know. Well, so tell us about Israel, Andy. So about Israel. I think if I, I think if I'd been you, I'd have wimped out and I'd have gone. Well, Israel's <laughs> interesting because that's the name that's given to the Old Testament patriarch Jacob, and uh, <laughs> and go. So let's talk about him and do a Bible study. He um, who struggles with God. Let us pray for the rest of the pray, evening. Let us struggle um, with God. So yeah, I think I've been conscious, obviously. Um, you know, since October, we, we don't often do timely things on on Pod of the Gats, actually timeless things. But, you know, it's now sort of six weeks, isn't it? Seven weeks since October the 7th, mm. uh, when the, those terror attacks happened in Israel, when Hamas launched those terror attacks and killed over a thousand people and kidnapped hundreds of hostages. And of course, then we've had the, the war since then, that Israel have now invaded Gaza and the headlines full every day of stuff that's going on out there in the Middle East. And of course, what's happened is we've seen, you know, protests in major cities, uh, a lot of the more sort of progressive voices in politics, leaning kind of pro-Palestinian. Um, some of that's overspilled, not all of it, some of it's overspilled into some really nasty anti-Semitism. And one of the things I've been struck mm. by is, it's one thing sometimes for part of the gaps to do the big issues that we try and be timeless, but sometimes stuff is going on in culture. And then for a podcast that wants to help Christians think about how theology and culture engage, sometimes you have to deal with those issues. I'm also struck by the way that there's been tr- problems in the Middle East, you know, well, certainly since 1948, uh, certainly even further back. So in one sense, this will always be tragically a timely episode. But the thing that I found interesting, Aaron, was the number of Christians I've seen particularly online, you know, the places like you and I hang out, we spend a lot of our mm. time on social media and online. I've observed quite a lot of Christians um, quite uncritically, I think, jumping immediately onto this, being this, this increasing calls in recent weeks for a ceasefire. That word's been thrown around. And I think the, the, the challenge I've found is that I think Christians are people who are naturally or should be naturally drawn to justice. Jesus had a mm. lot of things to say about peace and peacemaking. peacemaking. So I get that. Um, but the thing we're not always good at doing is then thinking critically and going, okay, does every use of the word ceasefire automatically e- equate to something we should support? For example, mm. and I'm not doing a direct uh, e- you know, equation of the two here, but for example, if sometime around about 1940, people had gone, we should have a ceasefire with Germany. You know, war is not a good thing. Maybe if we're just nice to Mr. Hitler and, and make suggest that we should all lay down our arms, and just get together around some tea and crumpets, uh, we could just sort things out. That would probably not have been the right thing to have done, mm-hmm, given mm-hmm. the evil of Nazi- Nazism. Now, what's going on in, in, in Israel and Palestine, Gaza, is not entirely identical to that, but I just use that as a thought experiment to go, ceasefires are not automatically, just because they sound nice, necessarily the correct thing to do. Mm. Um and an issue like this, where there are huge complexities on both sides, the question that I find interesting is how as Christians do we people who don't just jump on whichever way the cultural wind is blowing? And I suppose to be fair, by the way, mm-hmm. I say this as a, as, a, as a Brit, if we hopped across the Atlantic to the other side, there's some of this in this country, but certainly in America, we have American listeners, a lot more of the evangelical community would lean, wouldn't they, I think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would actually say uncritically pro-Israel, and you'd get things the other way around there to get yeah. automatically everything Israel must, does must be right, everything that any Palestinian does must be wrong. 
Yeah. So the fact that you have those two opposing voices tells me that perhaps the more reflective place to be as a Christian is somewhere in the middle going, how can we talk about these things in a way that is uh, biblically grounded, um, wise, Jesus-centered, and doesn't just go for whichever the, sh- the, the, the loudest voice in our community I, I or can our culture see, is shouting. I can see Tim Keller smiling down from heaven upon you as you, uh, as you, as you rejoice in the third way. <laughs> in the third way. Well, the third way to me brings back Tony Blair yeah, to yeah, true, in the nineteen nineties, and that and that yeah. ended uh, yeah. in a bit of mess, really. So no, no I, I don't want. I don't want to go. All to, I, I, yeah, you're right, and that's the other danger. Then you just sound like you're doing third way. Well, it's this way or this way, but in the middle. But I suppose I have found it frustrating in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. Here and looking around, going, I don't see anybody who speaks to me. I haven't mm-hmm. found anybody who I've listened to and gone brilliant. Finally, they're talking sense. It seems this tribalism seems to be, yeah everywhere um it's, it's hard isn't it because some you, i just think we, we're not you, you're right to say that we we have the kind of peacemaking thing in a way the third way is another kind of peacemaking not what you've just expressed really but like there's a kind of third wayism that can be hmm. let me not really agree with anything properly i do i did really appreciate you know, i like i do like a prophetic voice um especially a christian one but you do get those who inverted commas prophetic voices mm. in culture we've mentioned douglas murray before he's come out fighting against hamas of course he's very outspoken on islam and has been for many years um and he was particularly annoyed at the, the kind of ridiculous hypocrisy within the british policing system yes uh, you know not not coming after the pro-palestine muslims who are doing all sorts of um massive demonstrations genuine hate genuine anti-semitism they seem to get a free pass because of the fears of Islamophobia. But then you had guy, that guy who got arrested, the Scottish guy. I think he was in London somewhere because he um, went around pulling down Palestine, pro-Palestine flags and like pointing out that this is a problem. Because it sound, he sounded in his video, I think he put it on social media. He just put a post on social media and came and got arrested. And it wasn't a hateful post. It was, it was a bit like on the right in the sense of like referring to this is what happens when you let um, these people come along. I don't, and he didn't say anything hateful. I guess it does sound a little bit xenophobic to say that these people coming in when you let them in. This is what can happen. So we clearly just got the kind of on the right view of immigration, as many do, um, and they're not entirely wrong to uh, automatically. And he got arrested for that, and they they had the, the kind of power in the police to do that, but they don't have the power to arrest masses of of. Uh, much more outrageous, proper hate speech against Jewish people. So it was mm. that. So people like Douglas Murray are just like, no, I'm not having that. Going for it, kind of going for the jugular, and saying there's certain times when you, when the third way of kind of not, let's sit on the fence here or let's take take a bit of both, just kind of won't wash so much. And that's kind of in, in a way you, you think yes. of those. You referred to a Hitler and Churchill, and that's a situation here. We've got appeasement as an option. Where we can have a bit of both. We want to be a little bit tough. We want to do a deal with Hitler, and Church is like, no, no deal, hundred percent against. Now, clearly, are we dealing with the same situation as Hitler? No, but we are dealing with, we are dealing with a significant evil, aren't we? We get an unprovoked attack, um, and the whole car equivocating is the, the issue. That's again what Douglas Murray would point to and say, the whole idea of we immediately we talk about quote unquote root causes when there's a heinous evil happening. So, for example, if Hitler Hitler invading Poland. You could have had saying, well, what are the root causes of that? 
You know, the Germans don't have they don't have any they don't have enough land. They need some Lebensraum. Yeah, you know, we haven't given enough they were very badly. Yeah, after, treat Versailles. After look at their exactly. economy. They, look at the root causes. You guys did this. It was Versailles, the Treaty of Versailles. That was a real culprit. Yep. That's kind of the logic you see happening here. Really, Israel had it coming to them. This unprovoked attack where lots of people are dying. So then anything Israel does in response is automatically evil. They highlight what was it that hospital that got. Uh, attacks when it turned out to be a car park. It turned out to be a, a, a <laughs> rocket like... fired by the by Hamas that went the wrong direction. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I agree with you. And by the way, I think I think something you said there is 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 important. You're dead right that I think third wayism, which I'm not advocating, by the way, although I know you you know you may, you may have sounded <laughs> like it. I was just raising the question. One 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 challenge for me, I think, to ask oneself is if if you when you're sitting if you if you think you're sitting in the middle and there's a risk of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, it's, if you find yourself feeling very warm and comfortable because you're sitting there and sort of uh, you know trying to be wise and sage mm. and standing in the middle, there's I think there's a danger that you're you're at risk of selling out. If you're getting shot at from both sides and being in the middle is actually deeply mm. uncomfortable because mm. both sides are firing at you, mm. then there's a stronger possibility you might be on good you mm. might be on good ground. Mm. Um, by the way, because then exactly then I think you'd have even more justification that you're following the way of Jesus, because of course Jesus during his public ministry got attacked from both sides, every side in one sense. The Romans didn't like him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like him, but then nor did you know the Essenes and and the Zealots and all those other those other guys because he really tried to cut, take that unique path. And so there's something about the Christian way that that I think not third way, but should be different enough that even other every other group look at you and go, are you insane? And go, okay, I'm, yeah. getting, I'm getting fired up from every direction. There's a stronger than pos- greater possibility. Maybe I'm, I'm on good and, that, and that's actually, the, the reason I would say a uh, point to it is actually to say, we tend to hear that and go, that means that means the middle. And actually what it probably more likely means is no, sometimes you're actually sounding quite extreme. Jesus sounded very extreme in lots of different ways. And so, that's a different thing to going, he's that's always awesome. of this particular persuasion. So actually, yeah. it's kind of a balanced... I wrote an article mm, over a decade ago now. Back in the day when I used to write things. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, mine was budding. In my budding years, I wrote an article uh, talking about preaching called Preacher as Balanced Extremist. <clears throat> I'm saying we do need to be balanced and have wisdom, be aware yeah. of what's called dialectics. But at the same time, we have to not fear veering in a direction as the prophetic moment allows and, and requires uh, to sound, to, to make a stronger uh, decision. That's what wisdom is. It's actually making a decision often. And in preaching, that's really important. What are you actually going to yes. say? You can't say everything. You can't equivocate everything. You can't balance out everything every time. So you, your balance is in your kind of method of thinking through things wisely, but then you actually have to come to a decision and go, I, I've, I've weighed it up like a judge has to do. I've weighed mm. up the evidence. I've heard all the different sides going to actually make a declaration now and it and some of you are not going to like it and that's just you know get over it. it's going to have to happen it. no i think that's um yeah i think that's i think that is i think that's uh i think that's helpful there's something else i was going to say that's wandered out of my brain because that was so eloquently put but um yeah no i know what i was going to say history is is interesting i think the other problem we have in the in the west and christians are not immune from this too aaron is mm. i think history uh, doesn't help us here because you know in the case of the um the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, hmm. there is a heck of a lot of history gone on there. There is, there is indeed. And the temptation is one of two, is, again, is to be woefully simplistic. One temptation is to hmm. go, okay, well, that land was given to to Israel by God, and therefore, you know, Israel's it is, and come what may. Um, that neglects a number of 
personal yeah. things in the room, namely, to what extent is there continuity between biblical Israel and the modern-day nation-state? It's just mm-hmm. one question. Mm-hmm. But then the other side, of course, you've got the progressive side, tends to love going on about, well, you know, Israel have stolen all that land from the from the Palestinians, and it's their land, and, and, and so therefore it's perfectly okay. Uh, that there's a pushback. Well, a couple of things strike me as interesting there. One is, of course, there have been other, other peoples who've lost lands who haven't responded in quite the same way as Hamas have. I'm always struck by the fact, whenever people say, oh, we can justify, we can understand what Palestinians did, hmm. um, I'm always struck by the fact that you look at the way that, that China have behaved in Tibet. The Tibetans have never launched a, a, a mass civilian killing terrorist movement. Hmm. That hasn't happened. Hmm. Um, there have been other movements, but you know, you look at the Dalai hmm. Lama, for example, and the decades he has fought for the freedom of the Tibetan people. He has never once looked and gone, right, it's time for the rockets at Beijing, hmm. which tells me there is an ideological question here. There, it's not just a case of, of oppression, even if we agreed on yeah. being oppression. Yeah. You need something else in there. You need a worldview addition to then then metastasize that and turn it into a movement that says it's okay to behead babies and and do what was, you know, and kill Mm. kids at rock rock music Mm. festivals. Mm. And we don't want to talk about the Islam piece, which is interesting. And that, by the way, ties into your police point that Douglas Murray made. I think the police in this country and other Western countries, there's two things going on. I think they're afraid of being called Islamophobic because if you're called anything a phobic, it terrifies people. Yeah, but then there's also this actually fear of Islam. I actually think there's a bigger issue that yeah. people are well aware that if we light a fire under this, we have a significant Muslim minority, and I stress minority. That is important, but yeah. it's a significant Muslim minority in many Western countries who are going to go absolutely nuts should the police touch things. The police are afraid of that, and so there's this kid glove approach. But then, by mm. the way. Back to the history piece. There's also the fact that the history of what's gone on in Palestine, um, you know, what's gone on historically in that land with the Ottoman Empire, the way the Roman Empire, you know, set up effectively Palestine is the is, mm. is, a, is a Roman name um, that was there when uh, you know followed the Jewish wars at the end of the first century, and uh, and there was a lot of sort of you know re- redrawing of boundaries, and moving mm-hmm. people groups, but um, but the interesting thing is the Ottoman Empire is not often talked about. Islam had this massive empire that mm. went on for a thousand years yeah. that conquered vast swathes of territory that formerly belonged to other peoples. Um, you know, Jerusalem fell to the to the to, to the Muslims um, in the early waves of the Muslim conquests, mm. and that land continued so down mm. uh, through the Ottoman period. And so, how do you untangle? all of that. And it also strikes me as interesting, I say to people who are a bit too lippy, to, to jumpy to get on board with the, well, you don't must need a ceasefire, the innocent Gazans and so forth is going. Interesting that it's Israel again who are expected to behave here yeah. in a way that other nations aren't. No one talks about Egypt. You know, Gar- uh, Gaza has a border hmm. with Egypt. As soon as those t- terror attacks happened, the Egyptians shut that border crossing and were not letting anybody through it hmm. um, because the Egyptians do not want... Uh, you know Hamas taking root in in their yeah. country, and it's also not how how racist of them, how xenophobic well, and the evil of them. Jordan, look at the look at all those hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in refugee camps. Why has Jordan not just and other Arab countries not opened their doors and gone come into us? Isn't it terrible, Israel? I've done to you, but we are your fellow Muslims, mm. your fellow Arabs. We will give mm. you citizenship. They haven't done that. Um, right. So I actually feel quite sorry for the Palestinian people. Not just because you know Israel is now responding as you well you might if you'd face that kind of terrorist country, but they've nobody wants them. Uh, they are an unwanted people, um, but that's not just an Israel problem. That's a Middle Eastern problem, and nobody holds the Arab peoples to account. And the problem, I would say, is Hamas. The, the elephant in the room is is radical Islam, and to go those other Gulf states, Egypt, 
other Muslim countries do not want uh, a a deeper Muslim terrorist problem on their doorstep. And so it's all pushed into and bottled into into Gaza. So you can't really talk about ceasefire unless you're willing to untangle some of those Mm. issues too. Mm. There's also the issue, I mean, my my dad's a big, avid um, Israel person. And so we often have had debates over this over the years. But he'll often point back to the... the, um, just the, the significant opposition from those surrounding nations, yes, and the kind of you know the comments was it Yasser Arafat who was it who said the wiping Israel off the map? Hang on, that can't be right. Is that right? Who was it? Well, it, the, 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 it's been said by various groups, hasn't it? and of course we have today. There's the from the river to the sea, Palestine, yeah, yeah, free so, chart, which basically means let's obliterate. Yeah, so, so and cl- I mean, clearly, like clearly, that's that's invo- that's a, a part of so, some of the thinking in, in many of those nation so there's a reason why they want that conflict to continue so yeah there is uh, empathy that people tend to have for the palestinians which is appropriate on a human level but there are also ways of again it's going back to those we can equivocate in the wrong ways and, um, and we could show empathy for example for the germans being bombed in the second world war we absolutely could and maybe I mean, many people genuinely there are legitimate uh, reasons to say let's say the allied bombing especially if places like dresden in the second world war was too far and then didn't need to happen. But then you, how do you know that? How do you know that the people in Hiroshima didn't need to die in order to end the Second World War? That These are kind of ethical, challenging questions when it comes to war. Um, but I think when you come to whether a conflict is should be continued or, or should be stopped immediately, as you say, there is this pacifistic streak in the in the kind of very luxuriously peaceful West of the, which we've enjoyed, you know, no war on our doorsteps for a significant amount of time which mm. does something it, it does you know i've heard many people speak of this it, it can lead to a softening and we do not want warmongering we don't want people thinking oh yeah wouldn't it be great to have a war again well no nothing to do with that it's just saying that when you have the, the kind of the effects that's had upon us that we've, we've mm. had this memory of the second world war therefore we're kind of really pushing to the left because we don't want to sound anything like mm. the kind of right wing uh, governments that we were challenging in the second world war then we've got this time of great peace and plenty economic prosperity and it has made us fattened it has made us go a bit mad really that's why we are addling ourselves addling our brains as it were um with some of the postmodern thinking that's got on we've got this kind of lap of luxury we therefore think very idealistically and don't think about realities because we're in in, in kind of enshrined within this (laughs) consumeristic very comfortable way of living which is just so foreign to most people in the world historically and even most people around the world today arguably because there's so many wars that happen outside of those kind of first world nations as it were um it can be very unrealistic so i I read this article that you sent me actually from the um spectator um from october peter oborn i don't know who he is um britain should back we do apologize for the sorry peter i'm so sorry well, the interesting, I mean, the, I mean, he sort of sort of postures as a Christian, but I think it might have been one of those kind of spectator type Christians. I don't know if you know the kind. <laughs> there's just the kind of general sense that in the spectator, you just, you know, there's a sense of being. Christians is a really good, it would be a really good term, wouldn't it? For it would. Christianity. <laughs> it literally kind of works. It literally, yes. <laughs> spectator Christians TM. Um, because they do, they're kind of generally pro Christianity. They're pro Christian values. They're like I think we talked about in the last episode in relation to some of the ARC and NatCon movements. Um, they want the Christian values. They don't really want the actual living faith. It's a bit out there. But they're willing to kind of quote Jesus in particular moments when it 
when it matters. But then if you start talking about gay marriage and things like that, then it gets a bit, oh, don't, don't get a bit fanatical on me. Don't go a bit, don't get Haiti. That must be Haiti. Nothing to do with Haiti, the nation, of course. Um, so here's uh, Peter Obon's article. And I found it interesting because this is how <clears throat> he started it. So, so, the, so the, the article is called Britain Should Back a Ceasefire. So, and then you think, okay, so what's your argument going to be? And I really was unsurprised that he opened with a story. He said, six weeks ago, I invited Ahmed <clears throat> Al-Nauk, a young diplomat who recently joined the Palestinian mission in London to stay for a cricket weekend in Wiltshire. He resisted all entreaties to play the game, but was in every other way a delightful guest. On Sunday, Ahmed learned that his family in Gaza has been wiped out by an Israeli bomb. His father, siblings, and more than 15 nieces and nephews had all been killed, 23 dead, no injuries. Another brother was killed by an Israeli bombing in 2014. His mother died three years ago because, he says, Israel denied her medical treatment. When I sent him a text message saying that he and his family were in my thoughts and prayers, it felt hopeless but what else can one say? He replied, my family is gone, Peter, all of them, my father, brothers and sisters and all their children, everyone is gone. The Gaza Health Ministry says the death toll from the Israeli bombing is now over 5,000, more than 2,000 of whom are children. Those who die at once are fortunate. Many endure slow deaths, crushed in the rubble. Gazans write their names on their limbs as a precaution so that when their bodies are found, they can be identified. <clears throat> now, of course, it is tragic shocking awful when anyone dies in these conflicts and and that's one of the complexities and, and paradoxes of war but it relates to literally any conflict like any conflict that's ever happened you could start with a story like that if you had a personal connection to someone who then said look at what's happened and it's not would we therefore open that way how many Germans could we cite? How many people could we say this was a terrible war? Second war shouldn't have happened. First of all, shouldn't have happened. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a, a way in which can immediately make you go, goodness me, that I'm I'm drawn in emotionally, which you which is not not you know without um, understanding. I absolutely understand why you would why you'd want to feel, especially if you know somebody. So then immediately it's like, well, Israel, therefore, it kind of puts it in the sense that Israel not only is the kind of oppressor in this set, in this mm. sort of um, story, but also that war itself is just a stupid thing and should never happen. I mean, of course, amen, there will be no war one day, but mm. there's a reality mm. that that you know Christians should be aware of. This person that does sort of posture as a Christian because he then goes on to cite, um, <clears throat> I thought he was going to critique him, but no, it was kind of positive. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin Welby, um, referring to a, a sermon where he talks about you know, the rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, as though kind of leave, leave this stuff alone. His grace used this text to argue that the church must involve itself in the messiness of human life, arguing that what he called against what he called false binaries. After the service, he issued jointly with Jerusalem church leaders an unambiguous statement demanding an immediate ceasefire. Um, so mm. that's kind of where he sort of landed. And then speaking yes. about Christ's message of forgiveness being really important, that's the only way you can really get there. So yeah, amen to citing the importance of peacemaking that you mentioned earlier is really, really important. But these some of these complexities are are more significant than just saying, isn't war bad? Look at the deaths that can happen. Let's It, it should never happen. I mean, when Hamas has started this, what, what is a nation supposed to do? Are they supposed to just allow allow this to happen uh, you know if they do a ceasefire is that not allowing the terrorists to basically win is that not a, well, a successful me, um, negotiation yeah and by the way um 
sort of, sort of, sort of black humour, really. When you mentioned warmongering earlier, it just occurred to me, we need to put the banter in, don't we? Just to keep it keep it light occasionally. It just occurred to me, it's interesting you mentioned the word warmonger. Somebody pointed out, it's interesting how few things are mongered these days. We have, uh, we have warmongering, we have fishmongers, and we have ironmongers. Yes. Um, that's about it. Those are the only three things that you would monger. <laughs> Um, so fish line yes. are okay, war not so much so. But um, that's right. That story, but you're right. It's more seriously, I um, did. I did. By the way, refer to in one of my articles. I forget where on my uh, Good Fight blog it was. Uh, I referred to peacemongering because there can be an art, an artificial, artificial kind of. We let's make peace. Let's just let's just resolve this without any sense well, of conflict. And also, there's a lovely phrase that one of my colleagues at Solas likes to use occasionally. He talked about how Christians should be hope mongers, which I quite ah. liked. That we, you know, and, I, and actually, hope is interesting uh, because as Christians, we are we are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. By the way, because peacekeepers mm. tend to sort of stand there wearing blue uniforms, not doing anything. Peacemakers mm. that can be tough mm. because mm. peacemaking and again in the world World War Two is interesting, right? Because because we're far enough from it, we can step back and perhaps look at it in a way we're not emotionally involved in quite the same way, and yeah. going. The allies there were peacemaking, but peacemaking required dealing with the evil in the same way that a surgeon mm. faced with cancer doesn't mm. go, oh, well, not like I can do. They go, well, we're going to have to do some surgery here and cut this out, and then mm. we can bring peace to your, your body. Um, but that story that you read there from Peter's article, yeah, my take on that and, and similar ones is, of course, the problem with story is the same problem the other way around. You can equally just flip that story around and tell the story of someone whose entire family got wiped out in the terror attacks. People lost children, mm. whole families were, were were killed. Some of what went on was 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 absolutely brutal. Um, some of the accounts I read, and of course, you know, there was that those videos released a few weeks ago when the IDF, mm. um, you know, got hold of some of the body cam footage from from the Hamas guys who'd been glorifying this and recorded it all, and it's almost unwatchable. You can't mm. watch what's happening. You have to turn it off. Um, mm. And I think one of the problems in the West, right, we've got ourselves in a position where we think in terms of story, and story is not unimportant, but the problem is everyone's got a story, and we have to find mm. ways of listening to both to, to the stories and then go, okay, we're mm. going to move through this. There's also mm. the fact as well, without this just turning into a politics podcast because we want to bring a unique Christian voice, I suppose the, the trouble for me with the ceasefire stuff as well is going, even if you decided okay, a ceasefire is a good thing. Let's let's go down that, that route. Then you very quickly stumble into the practical questions. Going, okay, well, a ceasefire on the Israeli side is dead easy. The IDF have a chain of command all the way up to the Israeli politicians and to Netanyahu, mm. the, 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 the prime minister. Uh, dead easy. We just go, we get him to go, ceasefire, yep, sign off, everybody stops. On the Hamas side, who on earth do you think you're going to talk to? You've got mm. a terror organization split into cells that function autonomously, like most modern terrorist organizations do. So mm. do you what? Do you hope for the best? Do you go, well, I guess if 30% mm. of them stop firing rockets, we count it as a ceasefire? Um, so how do you, who do you even negotiate with is the first thing. Secondly, of course, the hostages get forgotten. I, I'd say these days I have no time at all for people who call for ceasefires who don't at least in the same call go, we call for an unconditional release of all hostages because then mm. you're treating both uh, parties with equality. But then, of course, what do you do the moment the first Hamas rocket comes winging across the border? Mm. Um, Because there was effectively an unofficial ceasefire up until October the 7th, uh, Mm. when all hell broke loose. So does that mean, are you saying the moment that a rocket's fired, it's all over and the Israelis can carry on? Most people I know don't mean ceasefire. What they actually mean is surrender, which I think brings us to that that Mm. second word in our title today, because we call it ceasefire, surrenders, and synods. And I think there is a temptation, I worry, there's an increasing temptation in the modern West politically and for Christians then to get sucked along with the culture 
in we may use the language of ceasefire, mm. but actually mm. we're talking the language of surrender. And yeah. uncomfortable as it is, and, and I think you you touched on the fact there, Aaron, that we, we don't like the ickiness of it. And war is icky. There is not a clean war. Um, but there are some situations where if you do, you know, well-meaningly go, well, obviously what we want here is a ceasefire, what you're actually arguing is 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 a surrender uh, and going messy as it is, and we can criticize the way they're doing it. That's a perfectly mm. valid conversation. Uh, but I think when you're a nation faced like Israel with what's just happened, you have a duty to protect your civilians. Yes, you have a duty to, to, to operate under international law when you then carry out a conflict and say there's a whole discussion to be had there. But I think sitting there and going, you know what? We're not going to do anything. We're just going to wait for the next load of you know, hang gliders <laughs> to come across the horizon and take out another 1,500 people. Um, mm. I don't mm. think as a nation on this earth that if they'd face the attack that Israel have just faced, we'd be going, yeah, we're not going to do, we're not going to do anything. Um, mm. And mm. so where ceasefire s- s- slides into surrender is hugely significant. And I think mm. surrender is what we tend to, 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 is increasingly, as I say, the default position so often for Christians in culture. And that's why I think mm. we put it in the title, right? The culture mm. is going one way. The whole stream yeah. of the culture seems to yeah. be going that way. The, the liberal press, all the right voices. Yeah. And one of my critiques was someone like the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was, we have often, God bless him, critiqued him on this, yeah. on this show. And we do that by the way, because he's a high profile leader. We're not picking on, on Justin. Um, when you take the role with that comes of Archbishop of Canterbury, with yeah. that comes responsibility. Right, mm. and with that comes the fact that people are going to then point to what you've done. Yeah. I think my worry is that you have senior Christian leaders like Welby and others who simply look, appear to look at whatever the way the culture is going and join on accordingly. Um, and I think the reason is that you get shot at less. And we've talked on Paul of the Gaps in the past, haven't we? Yeah. You know, I think of the episode of Mug- on Muscular Christianity, where, mm. where there was once a time where I think Christians are more, more willing to go, there was a cost to this, and I'm willing to stake my colours to the mast, and I know I'm going to get flack, but so be it. Now the default position seems to be, oh gosh, hang on. If I say this, the Guardian's going to say something nasty about me, or 10 people will be rude to me on Twitter. Mm. Therefore, I take the path that gets the most likes and the most mm. thumbs up, um, not necessarily the most Christian path. And so surrender seems to be in the default position. Yeah, I think recently. it's really true. I think, and it can work on both sides, kind of. You, you, you'll get people wanting to surrender to whatever their cultural norm is, where they are. So you, you will get people on the pro-Israel side in the US who mm-hmm. are, it's unthinkable for them not to go in any other way, partly because they, as you said earlier, they relate, um, yeah, scriptural motifs to the present uh, nation of Israel. Of course, that's, that, that could be a whole, several episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> so we won't get into that, but it would be worth footnoting. Obviously there are, you know, legitimate views which would suggest that <clears throat> really what we see of Judaism today is Talmudic Judaism, which is not really the inheritance of Abraham in the same way. So where 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 Christian where, where Paul speaks of Christians being grafted onto the tree, um, it is, you know, not inappropriate of Christians to say, well actually, if you're if you're rejecting Christ, you're not automatically, because you happen to be ethnically Jewish, connected to the promises of abraham by faith because the christ is involved in the old testament it's not like we decided to tack him on and say right we've decided to take over judaism now we're just kind of you can you know you can carry on your version of it and we'll do our version of it and we just get to add ourselves to the tree um, you know the arguments that suggest that lots of what we see today in terms of israel is a different form 
mm. of Judaism to the form and, and rabbinic Talmudic Judaism after uh, Christ and after the destruction of the Temple in AD seventy that that doesn't resemble um, what we read when we when we when we read of the faith of Israel in the Old Testament, which we, a tree to which we are grafted on as Gentiles. Anyway, whole other uh, tangent. But the surrender thing I think you mentioned is really really important because it is it, it, it's interesting that Welby, the Archbishop, bless him. You know, he came out. He actually got in trouble. Kind of, not even got in trouble, but people were saying this causes a bit of a rift between church and state, because Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, didn't hmm. didn't back a ceasefire. So you could say, is that just? Isn't that great? Justin Welby's being prophetic, but it's not because he never says anything that isn't pro in in the kind of Guardian. I've never heard him say anything so called prophetic that a Guardian reader generally wouldn't be nodding along to going yeah that's good because he's not gonna imagine if he'd said imagine if he said israel should keep fighting going and and defend itself it would seem like he was in favor of war in some significant way but actually having said that um when it was the ukraine situation i don't know offhand i'd be surprised if it wasn't russia's really bad and, and naughty and we must be super pro Ukraine in every respect because, of Your course, Russia's there, right wing though, and Ukraine. The point there is, is, and there was an article recently, I forget where, looking at the ways, the way that the, the bishops in the House of Lords, because for mm. foreign listeners to this who will find this a bit amusing, we have bishops in our upper political chamber um, in the UK for historic or even indeed hysteric reasons. As you all should, nations. Well, that's why Scotland is... I looked at that for six years. It was why our politics was so chaotic. No bishops. Um, But the point being is there's been a study done looking at their voting patterns and the number of times, the majority of times they'd voted against the government Mm. um, Mm. versus four. And, of course, they all lean majorly left. And so I think you could actually... I'd be careful to be careful to put to qualify this in case somebody emails in and goes, I found an example, Bannister, you're wrong. But the Guardian test... Uh, which again mm. for foreign reader, foreign listeners, uh, non-British listeners, that is a kind of left, very left-leaning uh, newspaper uh, in the in the UK, and I think you could probably map on, in my opinion, most of Justin Welby and the senior echelons of the Anglican Church's major pronouncements, public pronouncements over the last few years. Compare mm. them to the headlines of the Guardian, and they yeah. line up. So the Guardian, yeah. you know, was pro-Ukraine. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Guardian has been anti-Israel. The Guardian is a whole range of things. You're pro yeah. on sexuality yeah. and a whole range of things. And then you mm. can just line those, mm. those up. So I, I think there's a bigger issue that you have. There's a group in society. There's what, you know, there's that, you know, the Overton window. There's what, what respectable people yeah. are supposed to think. Uh, and respectable people, the, you know, the, the, the literato, the intelligentsia would be that sort of, you know, BBC journalist, mm. Guardian mm. Uh, reading mob uh, group. Mm. Mob's unfair group, and I think you know. <laughs> Mob's fine. Bishops want to be part of that and be, you know, welcomed at the right dinner parties into the right in, into the right circles. Therefore, you go along with it, and that's the surrender piece. Um, rather than going being mm-hmm. prophetic, being truly prophetic means there'll be times when the right wing of politics will be screaming blue murder at you. There'll be other times when the left wing of politics is screaming blue murder at you because you know. And again, we've used this line on Pod of the Guts 4, haven't we? One of the things I remember being taught as a young Christian is this. When you read the Gospels, if Jesus doesn't, you don't find things there that Jesus challenges you profoundly on, you're reading them wrong. Because every reader of the Gospel should come away going, ouch, 
There'll be times when Jesus says things that we go, oh, great, I feel affirmed today. But there will be a lot of times when you're challenged. And if everything you read in the Gospels just affirms your view of the world, be it left or right, but in this case we're talking left, then I think you simply have a Jesus of your imagination, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, as long that, amen, as long as that doesn't uh, become political quietism where we kind of go anyone who has a let's say a political project and they go i want to build something let's say let's say as a christian wants to be a politician tim farron or mm-hmm. jacob reese mogg on, on the right i say the right we don't really have a right do we that has mainstream prominence in the uk we have the far right um and then we have the kind of basically center left the right is the center left really and the tory party in the uk but but you do yeah because you've got jacob reese mogg a christian tory and then you've got Tim Farron, former leader of the Liberal Democrats on the left, um, who struggled, obviously, to maintain his Christian convictions in, in office. Um, and I think the danger would be, let's say, if they take that 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 kind of statement and go, Jesus must always challenge my, my leftness or my rightness, they might then go, ah, oh, should I stop? Does, does yes. it potentially mean no Christian would ever Correct. take a position? Because they'd say... I, I'm not allowed to take a position. That's kind of where evangelicalism has been in many ways, isn't it, over the last 30-odd years? But yes, I think, I think so, that. which was why. See, I was, I'm a careful theologian. That's why I said there'll be things where you read and you go, <laughs> great, that encourages me to carry yeah, on yeah. the fight. Mm. And there'll also be things where I'm like challenged and gone, hang on a minute, um, I need to reform my, my attitudes here because, yeah, yeah. you know, being open to being spoken yeah, to, really. Yeah. I forget. I, I, th- I have a vague feeling. It might be Leslie Newbigin who said this, or if not, I'm near paraphrasing him. Where you know, as Christians, our our job is to be as like the, the task of discipleship is that we should be conformed into Christ's image. But the danger is all of us attempted to try and conform him into our image. Mm. Um, mm. And mm. I think that is a danger for. For, for, for all of us but i think right now with again because back to overton window the clever thing about that idea of the overton window you know what's acceptable in kind of public discourse is that actually it really does control the narrative so yeah. it's much harder as a christian therefore to stand up and talk about you know our concerns about abortion or euthanasia or other ethical issues or marriage mm. or whatever because that window would say, well, hang on a minute, you're outside of what is considered acceptable. But then, of course, that raises the question, who decides what's acceptable? But The, te- the, gu- the, the Guardian. The Guardian decides, the Guardian. of course. So um, so but, is, is surrender. But I'm conscious we've got... Yeah, yeah I was just going to link us onto, yeah, onto Synod. So, but I was, so, this was the link to Synod. You, you yes. mentioning the notion of being conformed. Segway, segway, yeah, <laughs> enter the segue. Um, so, <laughs> a segue coming in. Um, so, yeah, the you mentioned the idea of conform and conf- being conformed or, or being transformed rather than conformed by the world. Who sets the tone of the agenda uh, of, of the debate? Um, there was a really insightful speech at Synod. So, so this week at Anglican Synod, the Church of England has been debating, again, the the introduction of the same-sex blessings. Um, we've they had the bishops kind of voting on it recently, and then this is sort of a mixture. I mean, Anglicans will know the ins and outs of precisely how the complexities of Synod uh, works in terms of the policy of the Ang- Anglican Church. But it's significant discussions where where various people who are not necessarily ordained are able to come and um, share their views. And so they had these kind of three-minute speeches. So a few of them were going up on Twitter um, this week, and there were some good voices on the evangelical side voicing you know, their their concern with what's going on. Um, many who are linked into Christian concern, like Ben John, Rebecca Benstead, and others uh, from different perspectives, but 
bringing that kind of same voice of this is wrong for, for, for different kinds of reasons. Um, and this one guy who I'd not heard of, I forget his name. It was a hard one to remember. I did a quote tweet it anyway, but it was, he was, he was referring to the notion of the church is supposed to be uh, the lifeboat um, to actually rescue people out of. But when the kind of water, kind of water gets into the boat, when you allow the water to seep in, it's going to sink and you're not going to be able to be the lifeboat that, you are supposed to be because you've you started to tolerate um the, the very thing that you're supposed to be saving people from you're now allowing in and, and going, wouldn't it be wonderful to have some water in this boat why are we so binary in the way that we think why are we so um yeah black and white about this why are we so you know <laughs> whatever black and white would be equivalent whatever color your boat was um, i'm going to allow the water in in order to look like i'm being hospitable and welcoming and um, which actually is just completely foolish it's complete folly um because we're supposed to, we're clearly being shaped by the world, being conformed by the world, not conforming the world, being conformed by Christ or transformed by him. And so I think that's something that we do see a surrender to the world in that respect as well. Yes, we see it in whatever the latest political thing is, whatever you're supposed to say, so that the current intelligentsia don't have a go at you or don't you know, give you a bad reputation. We just see that seeping to the church. Now, I'm, I'm just really, I'm sick of the, really sick of the progressive pushback which just says oh no we are getting yeah we are how dare you say that this is a really sacred thing this is really really important to us and this is something that really is the heart of what grace really means you know charlie bell a uh, gay vicar going on about this uh, earlier this week this is just the beginning of the grace seeping out of the temple it's going to you know it's only a little trickle right now we still don't have full inclusion you still haven't quite got it yet what god is really doing what the holy spirit's really up to but you will the the avalanche is coming you can't stop it you can't stop grace and and it's very powerful and emotive for people who especially those who are on the fence who are, who've maybe chosen a different kind of middle way which allows them to go well i'm not quite sure what side to pick i'm not sure I, I, I side with the kind of empathy um, element of these uh, people who have been excluded and marginalized. I've been told that this is a horrible thing, that this has happened to them. And maybe we are wrong. We've been wrong before. None of us is perfect. Therefore, uh, maybe we should be open to this. I mean, it's happening. There's a lot of people who are married and they seem to be okay. They seem to be doing well. There's loads of divorces from heterosexuals. So maybe we should, you know, all these kind of questions spiral in and, and bring confusion to people. And they just run away from the basic obvious point of, of what's going to go wrong what's going to happen when they eventually do um do this they're gonna they're going to abolish marriage and they're going to uh, un undermine the entire foundations of the church of england and those faithful evangelicals some of whom are listeners to the show who are holding on with their bare hands just kind of one hand left maybe on the, uh, to see if they can bring change and transformation mm -hmm. some of them are going to have to drop off or they're going to feel like they can't do anything else because it's almost like you need a, another reformation um, because it, what's left is just being completely destroyed. So all of the people celebrating this week, and yes, we've kind of pushed it through uh, or pushed it on again. I mean, the irony, by the way, I don't know if you've yeah, we caught this, the, uh, the phrase of the church of England has decided to introduce same sex blessings on a trial basis, <laughs> which is a very english thing to do we're going to introduce the product on a trial basis if you don't like it if you don't like this heresy if you if you don't like apostasy we have other oh yeah we're just going to try this other religion for a while just see just see if god is okay with that or not we're going to, we're going to try out this golden calf and just see what happens oh see well, what happened last hang time on just a moment. i think you're being very very unfair because that's very exclusive 
Aaron, there are people who like golden calves. There are people in, in there are people in the golden calf worshiping community. Well, Aaron, I mean, Aaron, in my namesake, you know, he, he was a he was the guy who let it all happen. Um, yes, I think I, I think I rather I don't often go for sound bites, so I'm not very good at them. But I did put on Twitter the other day that you know the, the Church of England, of course, it was founded. Uh, uh, rather embarrassingly, when a certain king, uh, when King Henry VIII wanted to wants to divorce and remarry, and the Catholic mm. Church wouldn't let him, so he's like, "Right, I'll throw my toys <laughs> out the pram, start my own church." So, uh, <laughs> and uh, and then of course, um, you know, the Church of England was fairly robust in its early days. So I think it's ironic that the Church of England has gone from heresy trials to trialing heresy. Um, That's it. But the, the here is that. But what's interesting, the ceasefire thing is interesting though, because mm. I think the foolishness here is there is. I, I get worried about those in the so-called middle grounds, and you mm. critiqued me for being, a, you know, being a bit sort of third wayish <laughs> earlier. I think there are some folks I know who have sort of taken the view of going, well, you know what? If we just bring the blessing in, if we just allow some some prayers and whatnot, that will be good. All, everyone mm. can just calm down and and settle down, mm. and, and and our LGBT friends they'll be happy because they'll have had something, and, and evangelicals mm. will be happy because because we haven't really changed marriage. Just praying for some things over over here, and we can all just lay down our arms in this great battle the Church mm. of England will be having. Mm. For decades, it'll be all right. Mm. Um, mm. And my concern with that is twofold. Firstly, I think it's a travesty on a number of levels. It's a justice travesty for the first thing of going, if there is nothing wrong with gay marriage, if evangelicals are wrong in, in this, um, we have done a grave injustice to our LGBT friends, and we should not just be doing some, you know, namby pamby pray for things. We mm. should be embracing and we should be marrying people and getting on with it if, if we're wrong. Mm. If, on the other hand, scripture is clear. And it's our progressive friends who have misread it and are misinterpreting it and all those other things. Then moving on to a ground where we're blessing things, you are blessing what God has not ordained and has not commanded, and you are blessing mm. that which is sin. There, there isn't actually a middle ground no. in this. And I, I totally understand well-meaning people who are like, can we just all get along? But sometimes when you come to these thorny issues in life and theology, you can't. And the same is true in church history. Mm. I think back to the very beginning. Right, when you think back in the first three hundred years when you had some of those great councils of the church and those great Trinitarian heresies, you know, it was important that Arius was told theologically, you're wrong on what yeah. you're teaching about the identity of Christ. If we'd simply gone, if the Anglicans had been around then, Lord only knows, <laughs> Welby would have yeah. gone, well, well be at that well be at <laughs> for those for those who are not convinced yeah. that Christ is fully God, exactly. maybe we can have some some blessings where we can have them in a side chapel somewhere, and we can pray. Yeah. Obviously, not to God, Jesus, because he ain't. We don't believe. Well, they don't believe he's God, but we could do something. And um, and bearing in mind, they they would like the Arians would have professed, they would have lived like lives that looked pretty Christian. So it's not just like these crazy zany heretics who look complete. They were they would be pretty close christian sounding in, every, in loads of respect except yeah. this tiny little thing all it is is one iota it's one and tiny thing way, he's you know he's not the same substance as the father okay. that's all it is and i do not mention that just as a flippant example from history i think again i may have mentioned before one of most on this show one of my one of my favorite books on those early trinitarian controversies is a book called the cruelty of heresy um, I'll mm. put it into the show notes because I temporarily forget who the author is. But that book is really interesting because it walks you mm. through the major Trinitarian heresies in the first few centuries, but then it shows you the pastoral implications and why those things were yeah. cruel. Very because important. if Jesus is not fully God and fully man, then he hasn't demonstrated the love of God. The logic of Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That logic breaks. He didn't. Dem God mm. demonstrated nothing because Christ isn't divine. And furthermore, mm. 
that the rift between us and God has not been healed in the atonement because Jesus couldn't bridge that divide because he was not God. Yeah. He was only man. And actually yeah. what you do is you end up destroying salvation in in that. There's a cruelty hmm. that comes to that that I don't think, to be fair to him, Arius realized in his, in his, in his ham-fisted attempt to do theology. And I think the same is true today, that it may sound like, oh, it's, you know, it's kindness to mess mm. around with the definition of marriage, but it's not. I think the mm. damage that you do pastorally, firstly, because you're, you're whispering the old lie, did God really say? Secondly, the damage you're doing to people who are faithfully trying to follow Christ, you know, with their struggles of, you know, mm. wrestling with same-sex attraction. I think of our friends at Living Out, people like David Bennett and Ed Shaw and others. I think it was Ed who on one occasion, Ed's a same-sex attracted Christian, living a biblically faithful life. In one of his books, he talks about, it is just absolutely devastating to have my church, he says, turn around to me potentially and go, oh, you don't need to wrestle to faithfully follow Christ. Just get married and get on with it. Um, so mm. actually, we're not helping folks there. Yeah. And I don't think... I think the great lie is if we, if we, you know, you talked about um, that vicar who said, oh, grace will flow outwards. I think the great idea that if we just compromise with the world, then suddenly the world mm. will turn and go, oh, we love you after all. Where can yep. we come to church on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think that happens, actually. And by the way, not. and I know we talked about this in a previous episode, I think we massively damage our witness uh, to the majority world. Of course. Uh, for, for Christians who are living cheek by jowl with Islam, or Hinduism, or a part of the majority of the world who have traditional views on sexuality, uh, the damage that we do to Christian witness. So actually, what looks like it's kindness, what looks like it's 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 going for the ceasefire route, it's going for the surrender route. And far, I think, from grace flowing out of the church, all that's going to happen is the is the Romans, the barbarians, are going to be charging in, and just like the Romans did when they sacked Jerusalem, setting up you know right there in the temple, setting up an alternative shrine. That is actually what's going to happen. And we were talking before the show began. One, I was very intrigued by one exchange you had on Twitter in the last few days with a with a guy mm. in the USA who was a more liberal pastor, and he proudly tweeted a picture of his church, you know, bedecked out the front with every flag of the sexual mm. revolution uh, you can imagine. And I found myself thinking, actually, I don't think any flag should be on a church. I get dis- I used to get mm. disturbed when I was in Canada about Canadian flags in churches. <laughs> um, yeah. There is only one symbol. That should be there in the church, which is the cross. The moment you bring any other ideology on and drape it over the altar, then I think actually you're in grave danger of a golden calf moment. Mm, absolutely, because spoken like a true Protestant as well. It was interesting, the um, <laughs> iconoclastic. Um, but I, I, I um, sorry, our Eastern Orthodox listeners. But no, um, that's absolutely right. That, that, that we do actually. Aaron Edwards, <laughs> number 13, <laughs> yeah. Asylum Road. Sorry, Aaron Edwards at yeah, by, uh, but yeah, yeah, formally. That's right. Send all the complaints to Cliff College. I think they'll be delighted. I um, love them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but on a footnote, by the way, you mentioned uh, imagine if, you know, Justin Wilbur's there at Nicaea or Constantinople. <laughs> imagine Athanasius in the House of Lords today. That would be quite fun. I'd, I'd enjoy his opinions on, on some of the bills being put forward on, you know, compulsory LGBT uh, teaching to primary school children, etc. So, um, so, yeah, the notion of the surrender thing, a, a thing that struck me this week, someone posted to some, I, f- I forget what I said on Twitter. I've said a lot of things this week. Um, but it was, they posted back to me, uh, this someone just walked into a church in London. She was from somewhere down under. It was either Australia or New Zealand. The flags are very similar. I'm sorry. I didn't know the difference. Um, and oh. <laughs> sorry, we've lost everyone. Everyone down under. We are, we Australasia, uh, Australasian contingent. So they, um, 
they had come and gone to London and gone into a church, and not a lovely looking church. And in there, several books are there, you know, proudly, I say proudly displayed, talking about things like hospitality to queer theology, queer Christianity, etc. is the kind of terms they'd use. Um, and I just thought there's the concept of welcome and hospitality that comes up so often. Not only is it very ironic, by the way, because that's always the argument people use as to why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It was really just they weren't hospitable enough, nothing to do with the, all of the kind of, you know, outrageous sexual immorality, including homosexuality, among other things. And they get they go, actually, no, it's because they weren't hospitable enough. We need to be more hospitable. So ironically, you guys, you conservatives, are the ones who are more likely to be judged by God and incinerated. Um, I said, right, okay, that's a really interesting, very clever spin. I mean, very, you know, they, they clearly had some uh, political training in that. But the whole notion of hospitality is just so interesting that they have, they're so obtuse. It's genuinely obtuse. Like, I would even use the phrase genuinely idiotic in the sense of, like, you're not aware you don't seem to be aware or you're deliberately choosing to um, obscure yourself from the truth, eclipsing the truth. You've deceived yourself into thinking that this is hospitable and welcoming. And as you say, Andy, you are cutting off all of the other Christians, like the vast majority of Christians who are alive today are still not pro-LGBT. And virtually every Christian who ever lived before the last couple of generations were not pro-LGBT. They're vigorously against it. Even those, presumably, who would have struggled with same-sex attraction, even if we sometimes there's a problem of taking that as our identity. Even the same-sex attraction can be an identity thing that I disagree with. But it's a category that's helpful to say this is someone who struggles with something that a heterosexual person doesn't. But but even those people in previous generations wouldn't have been pro-LGBT. They would never have imagined that you could have gay marriage. And so you are cutting off everyone, basically. You're, it's, the, it's the most deeply unwelcoming and inhospitable thing you can do as well as taking a jackhammer to your church. So I just like Justin Welby, because he's presided over this, as you say, we, 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 it is right to critique leaders who are going to make such catastrophic decisions. It's appropriate to do so because he's resided as, as a supposed evangelical that we all rejoiced in when he came in as archbishop, however many years ago it was. It's been disastrous, really, because of this kind of equivocating and this kind of general gradual drift towards... Uh, thinking that we want to be loving and peaceful and humble and meek in this and it's really just a co-option we've been co-opted by the liberal progressive movements which have um seeped in crept in and <clears throat> had their way basically and so you it just I don't, it's hard to <clears throat> imagine where the cv is going to be in the future you know the the the, the numbers are going to plummet the evangelicals are going to leave i think you mentioned earlier did you, Andy, did you hear that there was some one of the global uh groups of dioceses they've jumped in started. yeah so it's not welcoming, it's not hospitable. They are going to be deeply offended, and they should be offended because when you when you say God's okay with sin, it's offensive. I mean, one tweet I got a bit in trouble with for this week was kind of making tongue in cheek. <laughs> I know, I, I know, just that, you know, yeah, happened before. It's I'm such a peacemongerer. That's the thing. I don't understand. So anyway, but I, but I put it was it was uh, what's the guy's name? Is it David Hayward, the naked pastor? He goes by. He does all these very progressive cartoons. And he's now been posting them on social media a lot. So it, it's great fodder, really, for conservatives to jump on and go, this is outrageous. And it was Jesus, you know, kissing an LGBT sheep and had all this hashtag like gay Jesus. And and I was like, this is just directly blasphemous. Like it's one thing to say that Jesus would want to welcome and, and be kind to someone struggling in their sin who's repentant and comes to him. But to say that Jesus is like pro-LGBT and loves LGBT and or indeed may even be gay, 
that's just blasphemous. So I did do a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of, you know, like maybe blasphemy laws aren't such a bad idea kind of thinking. It grates it, it you. It is, it is offensive. Like it is offensive. And there would be times in Christendom where it would be like, no, you're not allowed to do that. Sorry, that's not, and I'm not, no, sorry, not sorry. You don't get to say that about the Lord of Lords. You just don't get to do that. It's outrageous to do that. And whatever the penalty might be. So it's interesting how much how much hate that brings. It's oh that's outrageous. Blasphemy laws are such a terrible thing. It's like, oh really? Are they? Are they indeed? Like the amount we already have blasphemy laws. We have blasphemy laws against the new gods. If you if you if imagine if you burned one of those pride flags that that guy was hanging outside his church, you would you would you would absolutely get arrested immediately for blaspheming the gods of LGBT. It, it is another religion. Like so the secular, secularism hasn't just vacated. Yeah, it got, if, they, yeah. if the death of God, the death of Christendom, as it were, hasn't just meant we don't worship stuff anymore. The secular progressivism does actually have its own gods. And if you dishonor those gods, you will be absolutely taking the task, the dogmas and the traditions yeah. and rituals, etc. So anyway. Yes, exactly. So if you want to be offended on social media, just follow Aaron and there'll be something there, definitely. I was also struck by the way of going, I, I hadn't come across your, your little friend there. I've, I've attempted to sort of suggest that he might sort of draw some of those cartoons around Muhammad just for, just to, to be fair. Indeed. Diverse. Diverse and, and, and good luck uh, to him. I think the other thing as well, and I'm conscious of, of the time as we draw the threads finally together. I think the other thing here that I think is always helpful for me, I think it's also, it's important to remember, you know, those of us who are evangelicals, I'm struck by, do you know, it's easy to point to other people as idols and go, they've made an idol out of sexuality, whatever. We can make an idol out of our denominations, I think, at times, and go, you know, oh gosh, if my denomination collapsed and I had to do something mm. radically different, mm. then then it would be the end of the world. And I was very struck by, I was doing a, an event up in the north of England a few months ago for a church up there that is a former Anglican church. I won't name exactly where it mm. is. And they had a very, very progressive bishop who caused all kinds of problems. And in the end, they left. Um, it's an amazing mm-hmm. story. They they did a vote on whether they should leave. They had a church about 500. They got uh, uh, 100%, I think, people voted that the right thing to do was go because they'd been threatened with wow. your building. All of them got up and went, left the building and went and planted a new church down the road. There was huge fear among wow. the church leaders of what would happen. And actually, those fears didn't come to pass. They've grown mm. since then. It's been incredible. Mm. Uh, what's mm. happened actually the irony is the building they left the following they, they put a new vicar into there the guy had a congregation of i think two people uh, wow what's resulted is that actually the, the the diocese have had to put in an evangelical not you know a, a crazy mad conservative one but still a pretty mm. evangelical vicar has had to be parachuted mm. back into the the old church because otherwise it would have got closed and, and sold but I was talking to the leader of the church that left, and he said it was such a lesson to us that that building and the structures that we've been used to had almost become a bit of an idol, that we were afraid of, well, if we leave, this yeah. will happen. And actually, yeah. it's a reminder of the goodness of God. But yeah, yeah, we're meeting in a school at the moment, he said, largely because there isn't a building in the city big enough for us to buy that we can all fit into. But it's been amazing mm. what's happened. Mm. And so mm. I think to be encouraged for all of us who can be a bit, a bit I mean, I'm an Anglican right now, and so guys, I'm going to sit there thinking, man, what's going to happen? And it's a good reminder to go, no, what's going to happen is God is on the throne. And things may look different. Amen. The nominations come, the nominations go, archbishops come, and archbishops go. Mm. And I think mm. being open to what the Lord is doing uh, and uh, and trusting him. And as you know, one of my heroes of history, Corrie ten Boom, who lived through World War II era, her story is amazing. Corrie has this lovely line, uh, well, she's dead now, had this line where she says, you know, do not be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I think mm. that's um, mm. those are great words to live by. Yeah, that's a really wonderful 
reflection and reminds me actually when I was in Aberdeen, a very similar situation of a church leaving the Church of Scotland and the vast, vast majority were conservative over the gay marriage thing. And I think there were 20 uh, that stayed and it kind of just dwindled off. But that church then met in a hotel. We joined, It was a Presbyterian church. We we went along and we were part of that church for a while. And it was a really wonderful time. And they, and they had a, it was very different for them to be stuck in a kind of hotel every week. Very different when you're used to this normality. But as you say, Andy, it's it's what what is our Christianity based in? Is it is it based in the ritual and routine of this is how things are going to be? This is what church always looks like. This is what I come to expect. This is what my salary is going to be, and it's always going to be that way. Well, then we may have made an idol of the ritual or the meeting or the denomination or, or money uh, and comfort. And actually, you you step out on a limb and you and you trust the God that you've given your entire life to, who died for you, that you might live for Him, and that might. Have, there might be wonderful times of prosperity and blessing and comfort. That that's good. Amen. And praise God for those. But He didn't promise you it was going to last forever. He didn't promise you it was always going to be easy. He actually promised you it was going to be difficult, and you have to take up your cross. So we all need to heed that. And that might mean very different things for, for different people. But we mustn't move away from the fact that we are Christians and we've given our life to Him, and He may send us in all sorts of weird directions when we take a stand for Him. And and uh, Amen when we do and when he blesses us in the process of that because we can indeed trust him and on that note of challenge we come to the end this has been a uh, part of the gaps we have covered all kinds of topics in this uh in this episode i hope what you found that aaron and i've shared helpful and thought-provoking and uh, and challenging again if you enjoy part of the gaps please do encourage you leave a review uh apple podcast is the best place to do that even if that's not where you get the show because it's got the biggest uh the algorithms that are affected by that share the show tell other people about it and uh, also tune in again in two or so weeks time when aaron and i'll be back with another episode but for now goodbye